Thank you so much for introducing me. As Cody said, I am the lead pastor of a church called Church of the Valley, C-O-V, in Santa Clara, and very excited to be with you today. I actually brought my partner in ministry, Mike Miller, who's the executive pastor at the church, and so we get to hang out with you guys tonight. Uh, One of the cool things, and people always ask me about this, is, so you were an atheist. What changed your mind? And ultimately, it was the Holy Spirit. It was God drawing me to himself. But ultimately, the thing that changed my mind was the resurrection of Jesus. Someone challenged me with it. They said, that's the point of Christianity. And I started to attempt to disprove it. Guess what? He rose. And that changed everything for me. And so now I get to have my dream job in my hometown where I grew up being an atheist, got speeding tickets, got arrested, did a bunch of stupid stuff. You can Google it. And (laughs) God changed me from the inside out. Uh, Dave, play that song. Anyway, and, and since then, as he said, I'm married. I have four kids. I have Reagan, who's my oldest, who is either going to be an extortionist or president of the United States, or both. Uh, I have Lorelai, who's probably doing a cartwheel right now because she's so athletic and she's fantastic and so sweet. I have Evangeline, who's my third daughter, and she's so beautiful and she knows it. And then I have my one and only son, whoop whoop, Boston, who's probably going to play football for Stanford. I've already told the coach, and I said, he's going to play. You probably won't be here, but he will. So he's four. If you guys have Bibles, Bible apps, you have time to download them because I'm long-winded, I'd encourage you to do that. If you have your Bible, great. It's going to be up on the screen as well. Ephesians chapter 2. That's what we're going to study tonight. One of the greatest things about being a lead pastor is I get to open up the Word of God every single week and teach from it. And so that's what I came and just drove three and a half hours or three hours, if I'm honest, because I speed, but (laughs) three hours here to spend time with you and open the word of God with you. So going through this series, as you guys have noticed, God is. And when Paul and I were talking about, hey, Tim, what do you want to teach on? I was like, can I teach on the fact that God isn't fair? And he's like, yes. And so for a lot of us, when we think of God, we think, oh, well, he's got to be fair. He's holy. He's perfect. Yeah, but he's not fair. You want to know why? Because if he were fair, no one would get to have a relationship with him. Because all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and yet he rescues some. And so that's what we're going to study tonight. So Ephesians chapter 2, who's just, you know, you Bible people, who wrote the book of Ephesians? Not, not that Paul. Paul the Apostle. Kept talking about Paul, and I was like, oh, the Apostle. Oh, you mean Worcester. Okay. So, so Paul the Apostle wrote the book of Ephesians. Paul was against Christianity. And according to Acts chapter 7, he was a part of seeing Christians killed for preaching that Jesus had risen from the dead. And he, according to Acts chapter 9, didn't just stop killing Christians. He joined them when he saw Jesus alive after he died. And that changed everything for him. And he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a pretty important town in this context. A lot of things were happening uh, in that context when this book was written. And he was writing to a church that had a young pastor. And the young pastor's name was Timothy. Big fan of that name. And he had an elder in the church named John, who we know from the Gospels as the disciple whom Jesus loves. And he writes these 10 verses that we're going to study over the next 26 minutes and 25 seconds, 24 seconds, 23 seconds. 
these 10 verses that point out the goodness of the gospel, the good news. And some of you have heard it. Some of you have become Christians over this school year so far. Some of you haven't and you're about to. Some of you are kicking the tires and we're so glad that you're here. But you have to hear these words that we believe are actually the words of God. So here's how Paul starts in verse 1. As for you, (laughs) you were dead in your transgressions and sins. As for you, Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians, but as he's speaking to them, we can also understand from the context that comes outside of just that church that he's speaking to us too. Those of us who have repented and trusted Jesus, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The term transgression, it's not a word we use. Anyone use transgression in a sentence today? Probably not. But transgression, if you look at other uh, versions of the Bible, I'm looking at NIV, that's nearly inspired version. Uh, so, so ESV's extra spiritual version, just for those of you that know. <laughs> but transgression means to trespass. So imagine caution tape up around a field, and I'm in Chico, so like a yellow field, and there's caution tape, and you step over it. That's what a transgression would look like. It was trespassing outside of where you're supposed to be. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And two weeks ago, I was teaching on this text, and I was talking about how how people that are dead, I asked this question, what can a dead person do? And my daughter, who's one of my daughters who's seven, Evangeline, Evie, as we call her, I go, what can a dead person do? And Evie from the back of the room goes, nothing. (laughs) As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, and there is nothing that a dead person can do. And that's important for us to understand as Paul continues to explain the goodness of the gospel. He says in verse 2, In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So let's imagine we're at a Pete's Coffee, even though they took it out. I'm so angry when I got here because I had to go to another coffee shop, but imagine you and I are at Pete's and we're having a conversation and we're reading this text together. I would ask this question to you. When Paul says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, who's he talking about? And some of you would go, Jesus, that's not who he's talking about. He's talking about the enemy. He's saying that many of us used to, or all of us at one point, used to follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Satan and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. See, the word obey, we don't like it. We'll put it on our hats, but we don't really like the term obey. We don't really like to be obedient. And literally all of us have been dead at one point spiritually. Some of you still are, and you don't even know it. You're like, I'm alive, I feel something. But there's nothing you can do spiritually without Jesus. And even though some of us have grown up in Christian homes, no one gets grandfathered into the faith. But here's the great thing about growing up in a Christian home. Hopefully you heard the gospel at some point. Hopefully you had parents who weren't perfect, but they were pursuing Jesus. And some of you, if you were like me, didn't have parents that followed Jesus. Wanted nothing to do with them. And yet God decides to save some. He decides to draw some of you. He decides to invite you into a relationship with him. Verse 3, all of us, this is still bad news. We're going to get to some good news, but 
all of us also lived among them at one time, being dead in our transgressions, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Hmm. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. There's something powerful about Paul's words. This sounds like a threat, but it's reality. It's re- if you keep eating McDonald's, you're going to get something bad. <laughs> and he's stating the truth. All of us were dead at one point, And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So what's he saying? Here's what he's saying. It's a fill in the blank, and I'm actually going to do one. We are all enemies of God without Jesus Christ. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. I don't care how much you've sang Kumbaya. I don't know how many chords, I don't care how many chords you can play on a guitar. You are an enemy of God's without Jesus. You're like, I don't feel like an enemy of God's. Well, don't get mad at me. Look at what Paul is saying in the word of God. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So that's bad news. But you know what's great about bad news? What would be great about bad news? It accentuates how great the good news is. It points us to the fact and the truth that even though the bad news is really bad, there's a good news that each of us have the opportunity to receive because you're hearing about it. Verse 4. In some translations, ESV, it would start with, but God. Oh, do I love when scripture says, but God. It's good news. But in a nearly inspired version, NIV, it says, but because of his great love for us, so ESV is, but God, but NIV is, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, verse 5, made us alive with Christ, even when we were, what's that word? Dead. In our transgressions, trespassing. And as we saw earlier, we are dead in our trespassing, our transgressions, and our sins. And then he says, it is by grace you have been saved. So so I'm a wordy guy, like a wordsmith, like I really want to wrestle with synonyms and things like that. But here's the thing, we have to make sure we understand what Paul's saying, because the good news isn't good news for you if you don't understand it. And I want you to understand it. So he uses some words, transgressions. Earlier on, he talked about your sin. Sin is something we've all done. Sin is choosing to not do God's ideal. And I could flesh that out. We ain't got time. But so many of us don't choose God's ideal for us. In fact, I haven't chosen God's ideal for me today, unfortunately. And I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be holy. And so we have to look at trespasses or transgressions. We have to look at the word sin. That's bad news. All of us have done that. All of us have been dead. But it is by grace you have been saved. Why? Verse 5, he made us alive in Christ even when we were dead. So here's the first definition. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Have mercy. That was Jesse from Full House. That was my context, not yours. Mercy is not, Uncle Jesse, is not getting what you deserve. Don't write Uncle Jesse. All right. So mercy is not getting what you deserve. So an analogy. So uh, Mike and Paul and I, we went to Buffalo Wild Wings. Cheap wings, right? Like that was, that was good stuff. And there was like the World Series on five different screens, which was legit, plus the urinals. Huh? 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 I, ladies, never mind. So... <laughs> 
So mercy is not getting what you deserve. So let's imagine as Mike and I were driving in my truck and Paul was driving in his Camry, it's silver, just in case anyone wants to mess with him. So we're driving back from Buffalo Wild Wings and as we're driving, we pull into the parking lot. I don't really know where I'm going, but as, as we pull in, he parks and then I park, but then he decides to get in his car and he backs out, but then he backs out into me. Super weird. Okay, here's what I don't want to give him. Mercy. I want justice. I want his insurance company to pay for some stuff on my truck because it's new. And so I don't want to give him mercy. I want justice to happen. Let's imagine the same thing happens. We're driving. All of a sudden, he parks, and truck's big, and I don't have the side camera. So I'm driving. All of a sudden, I hit his car. Do I want justice? Do you want justice if you're me? No, you don't. You want mercy. You want to not get what you deserve. But God goes a step further. He doesn't just not give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace. So same analogy, except Paul's out of this. I'm driving the truck, and all of a sudden, I run into God's car. I don't know what he would drive. There's a verse that talks about an accord, but I don't think that's what it is. So... It's probably, huh? it's probably not a smart car, I would guess. Anyway, so, so grace is getting what you don't deserve. Let's imagine I run into God's car, and I mess up his vehicle. And he looks at me. He doesn't just have mercy on me. He has grace. And then he gives me keys to a Lamborghini. <laughs> That's what grace looks like. And when we understand that coming to Jesus... It's not something we earned. It's not something we deserve. It's not something that we can do in our own accord, but it's what he has done to us and given us his son and we repent of our sin. Oh, it's like we've received a Lamborghini, but so much more spiritually. So you've got mercy. You've got grace. Verse six, and God raised us up with Christ, with Jesus and see it us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Okay. Uh, give me years you guys were born. So I graduated high school in 99. So thanks for that. <laughs> wow. Okay. So um, if you're anything like me when I was your age, or if you're anything like me now, you struggle with your identity. You struggle with where you get your identity. And what you'll experience is after, what's Chico State? I don't even know what your mascot is. A bobcat. <laughs> um, that's cute. So, so my, my daughter's middle school, same thing. Uh, so it's true. Um, <laughs> so, so imagine when you graduate school and then you get into the workforce. You're probably going to go through something that many of people I know that are my age have gone through, you're going to start to get your identity from what you do. Right now, you may get your identity from what school you go to. You might get your identity from what major you're going after. You might get your identity from who you're dating. Don't look around, that's weird. <laughs> but when you start to work, especially, oh, I'm an engineer or I work for Facebook, or I do this or that. And you start to get your identity from what you do rather than what Jesus has done for you. And the point of the gospel is that you'd understand that it's not about you. It's about Jesus. 
He did for you what you could not do for yourself. He lived a life that you could not live. Perfectly obeying the Father every moment of his life. Physically dying on a cross for mankind's sins. And here's some really good news. Don't ever leave Jesus in the grave. Here's some really good news. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And he verified that he was who he said he was. Because I can't get undead without God. And so he rises from the dead. He ascends to heaven. One day he's coming back and we get to have a relationship with him. But that doesn't mean we just pray a prayer. That doesn't mean we just sign a card. It doesn't mean we just get baptized, even though all those things are good. But it means that your identity now can be found in Jesus Christ. Not what you've done, but what he's done for you. So look at this verse again. Verse six, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So I'm not going to be awkward and be like, how many of you think you're a Christian? That'd be so awkward. I'm not going to do that. But if you believe you're a Christian, let me explain what this verse just said. That if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've committed your life to Jesus, if you by faith have trusted Christ and repented, this verse, what it says is when God looks at you, And even after you become a Christian, you still fail. Spoiler alert. When God looks at you with all your sin, all the things that you do wrong, all the things where you're trying to earn your salvation, even after he gave it to you as a free gift. When the father looks at you, if you're included in Christ, this verse points us to the fact that when God looks at you, he sees his son. So if you get your identity from something that you do, if you get your identity from trying to earn, you don't have to. You don't, challenge. You don't, students. You can look at this, and this can give you so much encouragement that when the Father looks at you, he sees his son. Hallelujah. And this verse is so important to our understanding of where our identity comes from because God does not see your sin. He sees his son. Hey, I did a fill in the blank. Good for me. And if you truly understand that, if you believe that, if you will trust that, you no longer have to live in shame and guilt. But if you are without Christ, and I'm going to remind you of this, this entire message for the next 12 minutes, that you have the opportunity at any time to repent, to change direction, and to find your identity from Jesus. But why would he do that? Why would God, in a sense, have spiritual amnesia when it comes to you once you come to Christ? Verse 7. In order that in the coming ages, that's now, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, giving you what you don't deserve, expressed in his kindness to us, In Christ Jesus. So you want to know why he does it? To show off. That's why he does it. I have one of those stories that some people wish they had. They're like, oh, your story's so transformative and this and that. Both my parents are dead. I was kidnapped when I was young. I've had a hard life. You don't want my story. God gave you your story to make much of him through you. So don't don't have this, like, jealousy of other people's stories. And yet... If you've come to Christ, if Christ has expressed his incomparable riches of his grace and you've received it, you've repented, you know what you are? And for some of you that kind of feel like you earned your salvation, this is going to upset you. 
I said upset. That was good. That was good. That's not what I would have said in my church. You know what that means? It means that you're a trophy of grace. It means that when God saved you, he showed off how good he is, not how good you are. So why does he do it? Why does he save someone like you and me? To show off. To show how far and deep and wide his grace can extend to sinners like us. Because we're trophies of grace. In fact, Jesus experienced this. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he has just called this guy Levi to himself. He said, Levi, drop everything you have. And Levi's a tax collector. And if any of you are like, oh, I want to learn law, and I want to do tax stuff, tax collector is not like someone that works for the IRS. That's like a decent job. Tax collector is like an ISIS sympathizer within this context. Or a Yankee fan. Okay, that's what this is like. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's fine. I lost you. Might not be called yet anyway. So, um, so Jesus is walking. No, God can save Yankee fans. So Jesus is walking. He calls Levi to himself. Levi is a tax collector. Hated. He's a traitor. And Jesus says, come follow me. And Levi leaves everything and follows him. But what's even better is he goes and throws a party. Jews know how to party, y'all. And he throws this party, and it's exciting. And he's pumped, and he invites all his sinner friends. Because that's what he's got. So tax collectors and prostitutes. And he's invited them together, and Jesus comes to the party. Guess who the party was thrown for? Jesus. And Jesus comes with his disciples, and they're there. And then there are these Pharisees. Pharisees are the worst, guys. But pay attention, you might become one. And so these Pharisees are there and they're like, they're whining (laughs) and they go and they talk to the disciples and Jesus. And they're like, why do you, why do you sit and eat with all these sinners? Jesus says this in verse 32 of Luke five, Jesus answered them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous or the self-righteous, if we're really going to exegete it, but sinners to repentance. I came to Christ when I was 20. Anyone 20? Yay. So I was 20. I came to Christ. Someone challenged me with the resurrection. I tried to disprove it, came to the understanding, nope, Jesus physically rose, not just because the Bible says, but history paints a pretty compelling picture. And I came, it was in my head, and then during a worship service on June 13th, 2001, they were, I'm going to date myself, they were singing a song, Shout to the Lord. Anybody? Yeah. Listen to it, it's not that good. Anyway, and so, so they're playing this song, African-American guys leading worship. He eventually ended up marrying my wife and I. This beautiful blonde's on stage with him, who I eventually ended up marrying. What, what? And, and in the middle of the song, I just felt like God put his arm around me. And he said, not in a Morgan Freeman voice, but like in an impression, he said, I've got you. And I walk up to, to my future bride, who's just my friend at the time. Make it awkward. She was my best friend's, uh, or she was my girlfriend's best friend at the time. Um, awkward. So, oh, we're recording this. Darn it. Anyway, and so, um, bleep. Uh, so I go to her, and I walk up to Aaron, and I say, Aaron, I don't exactly know what just happened. But I feel like God put his arm around me and he said, I got you. And she starts to cry. And I'm like, why are you crying? And she's like, you gave your life to Jesus. And I was like, I did what? <laughs> huh. 
That was June 13th, 2001. June, it's always in June, scary month. June 1st, June 1st, 2010, I get a phone call from a police officer. He says, what's your relationship to Mike Riley? And I said, that's my dad, Phoenix PD. He said, I'm very sorry to let you know, but we found him dead on this bathroom floor. And two things happened to me in this moment. I got angry at God. God, why wouldn't you save him? I, six months before, I'm explaining to my father the gospel, the resurrection. I'm telling him about my God. And my dad just puts his hand out and he says, Tim, I don't want to believe. God taught me two things in that moment when I found out my father died. One, I don't save anybody. There's a savior. His name's Jesus. He's way better at it than I'll ever be. I'm just the conduit of his grace. And then second, heaven's real. By definition, it's the place where God is. Hell is real. By definition, it's the place where God is not. And if you want him, you get him. That's how good God is. If you truly want Jesus, you get to spend eternity with him. But if you don't want him, you still get what you want, which is an eternity without him. And it was in that moment that I realized I don't save anyone, that I realized heaven was real. I realized all this thing. But you know what really happened in that moment? I had believed since 2001. But in 2010, I repented. Because I realized in that moment, God did not come to call the righteous or the self-righteous to him. But sinners to repentance. And repentance means that you change direction. It's no longer your will, but it's God's will. It's no longer a piece of the pie. It's the entire pie. Verse 8 of Ephesians 2. Oh, best verse in the Bible. I say that about every verse, but this verse is awesome. Ephesians 2, verse 8. Paul agrees because Paul wrote it. For it is by grace. What's grace? Getting what you don't deserve. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. So, Bible teacher, pastor of a church, going to get a little theological up in here. According to this verse, this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Who gives you grace? God! That's God! According to this verse, who gives you faith? Yeah, that, that wasn't as sure. Read the Bible. <laughs> For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. You getting what you don't deserve, God gets to show off how good he is. And if you're offended, why would God get to? Because God is glorious. God is righteous. God is powerful, and he deserves our worship. And I love when Jesus was speaking with some people, and people started to worship him, and Jesus rebuked the people that were arguing about these people trying to worship Jesus. And Jesus said, if they don't worship me, the rocks will cry out. I won't let any rock worship in my place. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. And then to add to it, verse nine, not by works so that no one can boast. So we've just offended most religions, actually all of them, because every religion, if it's a religion, points you to what you must do in order to be saved. 
And the only thing that gives you salvation is grace through faith in Christ, not by works, so that no one can boast. No one deserves grace. And that's the point. So if you've come to him, if you are a Christian, if you've been saved by grace, it's because you didn't earn it and you don't deserve it. And God gave it to you anyway to show off how good he is. Verse 10, we're almost done. For we are God's handiwork. That word's special. And every time I try to pronounce a Greek word, I do it wrong. And Mike knows more Greek than I do, so I'm not even going to try. Because he'll be wrong as soon as we get in the truck. So, <laughs> handiwork could also be translated to workmanship. It's a word we get poetry from. Your parents ever put an A-plus paper of yours on their fridge? Anyone? Anyone get an A-plus? Okay. <laughs> I didn't say anything about Bobcats. Anyway, and so for we are God's handiwork... We are God's poetry. We are God's A-plus paper put on God's bridge. Why? We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here's my last point. You were, if you are, saved on purpose for a purpose. You were saved on purpose for a purpose. Not to just come to a challenge once a week. Not to just go to like the 74 different options you can now go to every week. <laughs> Are you left-handed? Come. Um, <laughs> but you were saved on purpose for a purpose. And if you have not yet repented, I implore you. I don't beg you because it's God that will draw you. But I implore you. Repent. Change direction. Trust that Jesus is who he says that he is, that he lived the life you couldn't, he died the death you should have, and he physically rose from the dead, verifying that he is who he says that he is. And by faith, you can repent and say, Lord, I want you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. And God, I lift up each student that's here. Pray, Lord, that any words I said that were not of you would fall on deaf ears, but anything that might have offended God, would you convict? Would you use this ministry and the leaders and the people that are in this room to transform the community of Chico for the glory of your name? God, would you draw people to yourself and those who want to respond tonight, I pray that they would respond not out of compulsion, but out of love for you because of the grace that you've shown us in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.